You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the second episode of Crime Traveler, an episode that is called A Death in the Family, but I think should be called Jeff Slade and A Death in the Family. (laughs) Maybe they can adjust that later on. Anyway, episode synopsis. Holly and Slade are at the bank. Holly is looking for a loan to pay for her expensive electronics addiction, and Slade is tagging along because... Well, who wouldn't want to follow Holly around? Holly has no luck getting a loan, but she does get a lecture from the bank drone on her spending habits. Slade has better luck, thwarting an attempted bank robbery. Holly has made a decision. She doesn't make enough money as a cop to support her habit, and she's decided to quit. Slade tries to convince her not to quit and gives her some alternative ideas, such as having a rich relative die and leave her a ton of cash. And faster than you can say, we've got a time machine and could easily arrange this, Holly's rich Aunt Mary, whom she has not seen in over a year, has been murdered, leaving her a potential fortune. Because she's related to the victim, and in a truly surprising act of identifying and dealing with an actual conflict of interest, Holly and Slade are not put on the investigation. This rankles Slade, and he guilts Holly into using the time machine to go back and find out who killed her Aunt Mary. Or better yet, prevent it. They go back in time to about an hour or so before the murder, and they meet with Aunt Mary at her home, as well as her live-in boy toy, Alex. She is a beautiful, lonely, rich widow, after all. Holly is absolutely dead set against trying to stop the murder, until Slade guilts her into trying. They go to the restaurant. Slade poses as the wine waiter, and Holly poses as a health inspector. They know that Mary was poisoned with potassium cyanide in her wine glass. Between them, Holly will make sure the wine glass hasn't been tampered with, and Slade makes sure that the wine bottle is unadulterated. Slade, hovering near the table, overhears a potential motive. The three people Aunt Mary is having lunch with are being blackmailed by her, and they want it stopped. And stopped it is as Mary gasps and falls dead of cyanide poisoning. Slade and Holly hoof it back to the station, where Holly is promptly arrested on suspicion of murder. Boy Toy Alex has informed them that Holly and Slade came to visit Aunt Mary just before the murder, despite Holly saying she'd not seen her aunt in over a year. Holly has been identified as the bogus health inspector at the restaurant, and her fingerprints are on the glass where traces of poison were found. Oh, and they know she's expecting to inherit millions, and that Mary was planning to change her will very soon, possibly removing Holly. Arrested, placed in the holding cells, personal possessions including the time watch confiscated, and with only a few hours to go before they are trapped in the loop of infinity forever, Slade goes to work to solve the murder. Slade confronts each of the suspects, and they confirm that they were being blackmailed, but each points the finger of suspicion to the next. The dentist points out that the author of murder fiction novels was the one that suggested the lunch meeting. The author points out that she has no access to potassium cyanide, but the owner of the chemical manufacturing company does. The chemical mogul points out that there's one more person with a motive, Alex. With the suspects having done all of Slade's detective work for him, he questions Alex and decides it must have been him. Meanwhile, Holly escapes, desperately trying to get back to the time machine before it is too late. One wonders if she'd bother to wait for Slade at this point. However, the question need not be answered as the two of them, in speeding cars, collide head-on with one another. Back to the apartment they go, just beating out Chief Inspector Grissom, who is trapped in an elevator when the time machine blew out the power during an earlier part of the episode. Synchronized back in their own time, Slade reveals that Alex is the murderer. He poisoned Mary's medication, and then, post-murder, place cyanide in the wine glass to cast suspicion on her lunch companions. It looks like Alex is out of the will, and Holly gets it all. Unfortunately, it's all debt. Aunt Mary was blackmailing the others because she'd gone broke in bad investment. At least Holly got a cash bonus for false arrest and a raise. Also, she still got slayed. 
the end. All right. What do you think? <laughs> I I have to admit that somewhat to my surprise, I I was sitting there watching it and I realized I was enjoying it. <laughs> okay. That doesn't mean that I don't have some things to pick on and uh, some All holes right. to poke. But okay. it's I don't, I don't I mean this this like I say it's a long time since I've I've watched the series and this may be one of the better episodes and you've got to accept it on its own terms what it's doing is the it, you know is the kind of light saturday night not really engaging your brain sort of drama but on those terms it is it's kind of you know it's 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 pacey it's got enough kind of twists in it to at least keep you interested even if you know not surprised as such and it's actually it it i mean one of the things you notice about it this kind of really consolidates the the kind of setting that it is and i don't i mean we commented on the fact that it wasn't located in in any specific city last time Mm. but it is very much a kind of at least sort of thames valley location we're not seeing something that looks like uh, Sun Hill or, or Doc Green in, you know, in terms of the policing genre this is. It's it's very much more the worlds of, you know, the, the more, the, I guess, the more glamorous kind of uh, criminal and very much in terms of structure. Maybe this shouldn't be surprising given that we're saying, you know, Horowitz is the you know the the connection with the production company here is that he was writing Poirot episodes this is very very much following the Agatha Christie template it's, yeah it's putting is putting together a kind of very closed list of potential suspects going through those suspects and then kind of thri- try trying to to throw you off course so so with a twist so that you don't actually see who the the kind of real murderer is until the last minute so it's taking that agatha christie kind of formula and then throwing the time travel into it on top of it i i can see that and then i I, and i generally enjoyed this episode as well so I'll, i'll just say that and i i think i mentioned last time i had watched the first two episodes of crime traveler before but i should point out that i watched the first episode of crime traveler twice before and i watched this episode once before and then last week when we recorded the first episode i watched it twice again and it did not hold up as well i watched this one twice this week and both times it kept me it kept me fairly focused on the on the show and the program so i think this is a better episode than the previous one however yeah it still wastes too much time on the not murder mystery. And so it's really a very perfunctory uh, Agatha Christie there. I mean, how many times has Agatha Christie gone from one uh, uh, suspect who says, no, no, it's this one. And they go to that one. They go, no, no, it's that one. And he says, no, it's that one. And then they get to the last one. They go, oh yeah, it must be him. It, it it doesn't really have any good red herrings or any any and there's no suspense because first time viewing my wife instantly pegged Alex as the killer. He yes, walked yeah, on yeah, yeah, screen yeah. and she goes, "He's the killer." And I'm like, "Gosh, yeah. you haven't even gotten to the part where there's a whole blackmail thing. It's just like he's the killer." Okay, <laughs> great. Well, okay. I th- and I think there are reasons for that. I think there are reasons why it has to be like that. I mean, I agree. I thought it was very predictable and if you you know if you were in the market for some good red herrings i've just been to the market and i bought these splendid red hair no um if you if you want good red herrings then you go to agatha christie for real the point i think about this is that it's using it's using the formula as a touchstone a shortcut to give the audience an idea of what's going on in the murder mystery because the Agatha Christie series would do 
a whole, you know, Agatha Christie story in 50 minutes, they would fill the 50 minutes with the Agatha Christie. Mm. But this has got to fit in all of the kind of sci-fi temporal paradox shenanigans in as well. So you can't you can't go down all of those kind of blind alleys that you might otherwise go down in order to throw off the audience because you're too busy bamboozling them with the time travel stuff in the time that you should have been using for the for the mystery stuff. Yeah, there is there is some of that, but there is also the whole bit at the bank at the beginning and the bank robbery. I mean, yes, they kind of use the bank robber as a diversion, but it, it you know, there are 18 different ways that they could have figured out Holly had escaped. Uh, not the least of which was that she had to let another prisoner out and he ran into the ladies. It just, it just kind of like, there was an awful lot of the not murder and the murder. And then the other part that was just kind of odd is you go back in time to solve a murder but in fact, they went back in time and that didn't really help them solve the murder at all, except maybe overhearing the part about the blackmailing. But but it just it, it's kind of because he just did the detective, quote unquote, he did the detective work uh, anyway. So it's just <laughs> odd. <laughs> it's just kind of well, an odd yeah. arrangement. Well, it will. Yes. Although I think that kind of reflects what we were talking about before in the sense that all all of these kind of whodunits are essentially time travel stories. And all this is doing is kind of folding our characters into the thick of the action so that rather than experiencing it secondhand through witness testimony, they're actually experiencing it firsthand. And so it's using, it's using the Agatha Christie formula as the kind of foundation for this stuff. But then the twist on it is... Well, I mean, you can start to see the formula for Crime Traveller itself, which is it's Agatha Christie plus the time travel, where the jeopardy is you've got to get back to the time machine before you left. And therefore, that creates an additional kind of sense of urgency around the thing. And then Mm. the, the, the kind of thing that stops them getting back is obviously Holly gets arrested. And the 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 kind of good twist the thing that i like about it, again it's like this is a this is a good concept this is a good way to use the good concept is that they are hurling themselves effectively into the midst of a crime which as you say there is a there is a a personal interest in so it's kind of unprofessional in that sense but also it's it's an excellent opportunity to use the fact that in any crime, in any investigation of a crime, at least, you're going to look at all the people who were there. It's the kind of means and opportunity part of the Mm -hmm. means, motive and opportunity. And by going back in a time machine to any of these crimes and kind of trying to insert themselves into the situation, Slade and Holly are inevitably going to be seen as behaving rather oddly around where a crime is committed. So they are, by virtue of that fact, always kind of going to be at risk of being suspects themselves. And you add to that, in this instance, the personal connection that Holly has. And you've also got the motive. So it it it, it sets it up as a as a as a kind of very uh plausible reason why that you know the yeah this is the situation where where the jeopardy is you're under arrest mm-hmm. and, and and it it this whole premise in this episode definitely puts puts to rest Holly's notion that the future is not pre-written because it is it obviously is because when they hear about the murder one of the first things Grissom says is that there was this health inspector there which is obviously Holly. So that's an act and they haven't even decided to go to the past yet. And yet the past has happened. So therefore the well, future must also be their past. I don't think that quite reflects what Holly's statement was about. I think what she was saying was you can't travel into the future. That is the time, the timeline, the, the, the whole world timeline, <laughs> 
for want of a better way of putting it, relative to the point from which they are traveling in the time machine, not their personal future, because Grisham is talking about the past and Holly and Slade's personal future is traveling into the past. So Holly's point is the future hasn't been written and also the past can't be changed and my criticism was those are incompatible but this is still Mm -hmm. consistent with the point that she's making because the 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 suspicious health inspector is in the past even though it's holly's future (laughs) like it it takes some gyrations to get around that whole predestined thing but the other thing that that i I bring out that's interesting in this is that you, and when I mean you, I mean Holly and Slade, can literally cannot be sure of your own past. Holly makes a blanket statement that she believes to be 100% true. I have not seen my aunt in a year. Totally unaware of the fact that she saw her aunt that morning and is going to get in trouble over it. Right? That is that is a, a an interesting bit of gosh, I can't be sure of anything now uh, that has happened to me recently. But it hasn't happened I, I might to decide to get... You're, you're, right, you're right that she saw her arm that morning, but it hasn't happened to her yet. It has not happened to her, but she should be aware of the fact that she might be... In other words, she, she's undone her own alibi. Well, if alibi is the right yeah, word, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but through her future yes. actions... And she should know that that could have happened. <laughs> like, well, she uh, should know it could have happened. But on the other hand, she she's pretty adamant that she's not going to use the time machine for that. And yeah. she ends up being persuaded to use it. So at the time she makes the statement, she has no intention of doing it. And so wouldn't have a reason to say otherwise. It, it's a... It, it's a, a, a... I was going to say it's a conundrum, but it's uh, it's really a paradox. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And Holly just I, needs I... Holly just needs to be, you know, she needs to be more like Boris Johnson and just say, as far as I am aware, I did not oh, meet yeah. my aunt. Oh, yeah. And oh, that. Oh, yeah. Um, so there is a there is a scene, and and I frankly didn't put much store in it until I was rewriting this the recap. There's a scene where the the time machine blows out when they're trying to go back. And Holly says, maybe the machine is trying to tell me something as if it has sentience or as, as if time has some sentience. It has some purpose and, and is trying to convey to her this. Now, <clears throat> that to me is just, you know, loose human thinking, trying to assign agency to things that don't have agency. However, how much of a stinking coincidence is it that Holly says, what, am I supposed to go kill one of my relatives? Hey, we've got a murder case. Someone was just murdered and it's your aunt. How? Obviously, they didn't do that. It, it appears that this would have happened no matter what, because Aunt Mary was actually not murdered at the table. She was murdered before she ever went, just didn't know it yet. But that coincidence is so staggeringly it's like, is time trying to tell them something? <laughs> is, there, is, is there actually some sentience going on there in, in, the, in the chaos of the universe to, why is, to organize why is it ta- like that? Why is time involved in, in that? <clears throat> well, coincidences could be, it, you know, is there such a thing as coincidence in a predetermined universe, which this appears to be? Um, well, it's not because the future is unwritten. So, Except their future and, and what... Who cares about someone else's future? My future's written. I will be going back in time later today, and I don't know it yet. I mean, that's that's written. That is my future is written. I I, I just I. Well, actually, you do make I, a good point in the in the sense that the fact that the past includes Holly and Slade being there does mean that at some point in the future they have to travel back. That is predestined so i think that is i think that that's unresolvable in the setup i think not not only is it a very strange concept it's actually impossible to reconcile that i'll have to think about it 
I think that's going to be a problem throughout the board. It's, it's, it is a problem with any time travel story is that, that the devil is in the details and we don't know, you know, if it, A, it's even remotely possible or B, if it were possible, how it would work. So in our little linear minds kind of stuck. Well, except, except that the, the devil here is in a detail that, that at least so far, and I, I have no recollection of whether it plays a bigger role later, but at least so far, it's a detail that's completely unnecessary. There's no reason why the future has to be, you know, completely open. Why, why, why couldn't you just have a completely predetermined universe like you would expect if the past is predetermined? Yeah. It, it, yeah. If we solve it, we'll be the first. Um, <laughs> I, I do believe. I'm just going to say... Uh, it was it was lovely seeing Mary Tam as uh, as Aunt Mary, and I was suitably impressed at how awful she was. <laughs> she just seems so nice when you see her on Doctor Who, uh, and and she really she really did not come off as a nice person. Like, oh, she played that really really well, which you know puts her acting far and above anyone else's in in the show. There's also a, a sort of well. There's also a, hmm. an almost credible family resemblance to Holly. I I no I I I've got I yes I've got I've got to know that I just, I was just I was just trying to remember whether they, I I'm sure I've seen her do something where she's pretty nasty in the past, but I I can't remember what it was. No, I was I was I would definitely agree with you on the family resemblance thing, and I and actually I mean. I do. Th- I, th- I do think Mary Tam is is a yes. A, she's a cut above everyone else in the cast. I I I I think I think she's she is an excellent actress. But there is something about Chloe Annette's character, and I'm kind of warming to Chloe Annette's performance a bit as well. That is, <laughs> it is a bit. I mean, I've written in my notes, and this does feel a bit cruel, but like a cut price Mary Tam Romana, in the sense that. Her character is very, very, very posh and very, very, very smart, which kind of were the the hallmarks of Romana. And, you know, probably also it's fair to say very, very willing to knee someone in the bollocks if all other avenues have been exhausted. Yeah. Testicular blow, I believe, is the uh, <laughs> official term. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I... <clears throat> Although the one thing that I uh, noticed in this episode more than in previous episodes, and and this is, in a way, this is a very shallow remark. She has very arresting eyes, and but she also does all of her acting with those eyes. There's some really over the top eye acting in this episode. Who's that, whose eyes Close are you talking them. about now? Chloe Annette or uh, Mary Tam? Chloe, Chloe, yeah. Chloe Annette. She just really, really, when she emotes in any scene, she emotes first with her eyes. They yeah. get wider, then narrower. It's like, okay, well, they're, they're a good asset. They're a really good asset, but they are perhaps leading a little too hard in some of the scenes. No, I, 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 I agree. And I, you know, she's not. She's not done a huge amount, so it's it's hard to judge her. I I felt that her comedy timing was a real limiting factor in Red Dwarf, which was the other major role that I've seen her in. Whereas this probably writes much more to her strengths. Uh, yes, I I I I think I think you're right. The the kind of she's good at looking surprised, and she's good at looking haughty, <laughs> and. <laughs> You know, she's good at looking too smart to answer that question. And, you know, that's what the role needs. So fair, fair it is. Do, uh, banks may be different in in the generic UK uh, that they they seem to exist in. Mm-hmm. Um, but do do they look over your purchase records before doing loans? Do, the, do bank officers have that kind of ability because I thought that was a really weird scene. Oh, I, well, it is a really weird scene. It, it's, it's a weird scene. 
I, th- I mean, I don't think there's any reason why someone in, working in a bank would not be able to see that stuff. But what's weird about it is actually bringing it up in in that context. And, you know, to Horowitz's credit, he has Holly actually point that out. It is strange. But then there is no explanation of why has this deputy manager raised these things? It, yeah, well, and, and there's a this condescension about, is it stereos? Is it TVs? Is it, it's like, I, you, you, like what, what do you... I, I mean, I, the, 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 <laughs> the, 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 the dialogue there is, is, it's explanation, right? I mean, it's telling us that Holly needs an overdraft because, or an ex- overdraft extension because she spent all the money on bits for the time machine. But the problem mm-hmm. is that it doesn't, you know, again, like saying last time, another pass might have fixed the problem, but it doesn't build into the actual scene itself a motivation for the character asking those questions, whose purpose is to explain something to us, the audience, which is outside the world of the drama. And then just coincidentally, we'll throw in the bank robbery at this scene to give Slade something to do. I don't know. That whole... Well, I I liked the gag. I liked the... I liked Slade. Oh, the snap? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the problem the problem with it is that I mean more than whether this is a typical whether this is a typical behaviour for a for a bank clerk to be asking these questions, it does not seem in any way typical in the UK for a police officer to be routinely armed. That too. Especially as he's not on duty. But he I mean we I think we saw him carrying a gun in the previous episode. But he just he has the gun about his person when he's just gone to the bank for no police business. And then later on, he has the gun. You know, he just reaches for it to to smash a window. But he hasn't been issued with the gun for any specific purpose. So, again, that just seems to be outside reality. It's just this slightly fantasy world that Crime Traveller seems to, to be in. Okay, well, the fantasy world of policing and crime traveler. Also, I want to ask: is that is that really how it works? The the detective comes in and he says, "It was Alex. He probably put cyanide in one of Mary's pills, and he probably was going to be written out of the will." And let's arrest him, huh? <laughs> and then he gets a little upset, and they slam him against the wall. He says, "Can I take that as a confession?" It's like, can you? And 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 the chief inspector is just gives it a nod and all right, fine. It's like, what kind of police work are they doing? It's really strange. It's very shorthand. Yes, yes, it's very shorthand, and it and it, and it's it's obviously down to the fact that at this point, we the audience have been told who the who the criminal is, so they just need to wrap the thing up now. It's not the it's not the kind of show where it is because that and that is again it's the difference between a a whodunit mystery and a and a kind of police procedural and so you know those those kind of incredibly gripping and tense scenes that that you get in for example Line of Duty where you have the that kind of forensic uh, interview dramatized you know you can be sitting there and it can last for 40 minutes of the episode and yet still be completely riveting because it's so well, because it's so well written, but that's not how the whodunit works. Yeah. It's not about the procedure. It's about the mystery and the mystery is gone. And that, that that's where the procedure starts to get in the way. And of course, that is why a lot of those whodunits are actually private detective stories, you know, like in, in the Sherlock Holmes tradition, because then you can just dispense with all of the kind of bureaucracy of the the regular force and just leave all of that behind and and you know elevate yourself we, into the fantasy of an extraordinary individual. We have no clue how, what the conviction rate on these things is either. You know, the arrest is the end of the line. You you don't mm-hmm. see you don't see the trial. You don't see the conviction. You don't see that the evidence hold up. It's is for all we know, everyone who's ever committed murder on on 
in Death in Paradise has gotten off because of the legal system. In the end, it's just it's not, it's not law and order. On. Yeah. So let's see. Another one that that strikes me as a little uh, odd in this imaginary universe that they that they live in is that the that the house Holly lives in, which appears to be shared some sort of shared building with multiple tenants, uses enough electricity to power a stadium. Don't they? I don't know. Pass that electric cost on to the tenants in the rent. <laughs> I have so much about this. I I was I was just I was like because for a start. Okay, okay, okay. So the guy isn't sure where all this electricity is being drawn from. He just knows that there is somehow um, a huge bill being run up for the (laughs) whole Mm -hmm. block. And the arrangement there seems to be that the tenants, I I guess, pay a sort of, or or they they get it included in their bill. It's got to be something like that, right? I mean, I don't know whether that's legal now i don't know whether that was legal in 1997 but okay let's let's suppose that's what it is then the electricity company have put a meter into the you know there has to be a meter somewhere and the meter has to be in the block at that point which then makes me think okay you've got a a single meter and i don't know what an electricity company would would allow you to draw just in terms of the maximum current running through a meter but in a sense if that's the arrangement it doesn't matter because beyond that presumably it's all just running in the kind of regular ring mains to all the different flats and there may be multiple there may be multiple ring mains i can can kind of understand that but you're still going to have you know maximum of 30 amps for each Mm -hmm. ring and the time machine is going to have to be plugged into one of those rings and it's not on all of the time. I mean, it's on very, very briefly, so it can't draw. I mean, even a 30-amp 30, a 30 circuit running all the time at the maximum of 30 amps would still take over five months to consume 27,000 units. <laughs> and I, although they don't say 27,000 units over how long, I mean, right? it's but, a month or a quarter. I, I don't know. I mean... It, it could be since the 1950s because that's how long they've been working on that time machine. Well, possibly. But the thing about the time machine, if it is using large amounts of electricity, is that it's drawing very high amounts of current for very brief periods. So I, I guess there could be some sort of batteries or capacitors on Holly's side of, of you know, in, in, in the flat, so on that side mm-hmm. of the the circuit breaker but i'm still thinking that in order to deliver the kind of current that you're going to need there wouldn't you actually need three phase power and if you've got three phase power then the guy who runs the building is going to know that you're the flat that have got three phase power installed i mean he only had two he only had two main breakers or fuses so two phase is likely there it it it's I, I've spent far too long thinking about it, and it's impossible to <laughs> to reconcile to this nonsense. But I'm but glad then, you did the then, math on that one. <laughs> well, you know, I had to I had to kind of work it out. The, I mean, the other the other thing was the cl- the clue when you're trying to work out what the machine draws is that she talks about a month's salary to replace the 50 kilowatt resistor circuit, and you know, in terms of reversing the polarity of the neutron throw flow this is this is absolutely classic techno babble because what does that mean what does that mean a 50 kilowatt resistor circuit resistance i mean mm-hmm. kilowatts is a measure of energy how can that have anything to do with, how can that be the the unit of resistance <laughs> measurement which is you know resistance is in ohms so if you're going to measure the resistor I mean, what is a resistor circuit? Uh, a circuit that resists. Maybe it's that not sounds resistor, fairly unsophisticated resistor. to me. I mean, you might need um, a very, very large resistor, but I'm still thinking those those things can't be that expensive. But they might not be talking about an electronic resistor. They might be talking as in like a something on a circuit board type resistor. Maybe it's a thing that resists something on the time machine. <laughs> I don't oh, know. Okay. Okay. It, well, it helps oh, them. Right. 
prevent time from going wonky by resisting something and it just needs yes. 50 kilowatts <clears throat> yeah 50 yeah okay so that could be free and yeah sorry 50 kilowatts is a measure of power not energy so that would make sense for yeah some sort of circuit <laughs> which did some temporal resisting or something like that i'm sure okay. they thought okay. this through very clearly uh, when they were doing yeah yeah will, yeah no we, the... we 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 can we can do that so we can say that's going to be 50 kilowatts i'm still thinking that that um because we don't know the voltage of the the time machine do we but as you you know uk power is at 230 volts then your 50 kilowatts is going to be something over 200 amps right yeah it sounds i mean that's a lot of current to be drawing again i'm thinking yeah this is probably this is probably not the kind of thing you can do on a regular Household you are ripping apart not the, the kind of thing you can do on 240 volts, to be fair. You're ripping apart the fabric of the space-time continuum. I think, you, you know, you, you got to expect to break a few eggs when it comes to power. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I'll give them one that they got the science uh, right on. How about, how about this? Or right-ish. I mean, reasonably close to right. So there is a problem I have to... I have to address before I say the thing they got right. And the problem that I have to address is that given the amount of time that they had to get back to the machine. And given the fact that Slade, through a city that bears some resemblance to London, we'll say, manages to drive to the dentist, to an author at a specific book signing, and then to a chemical company where he manages to get an appointment, get in and get time to go down and inspect the thing, and then drive out to the country to get to, to Aunt Mary's house, and then back in time, because I think they had, what, three hours? And he did all that in, in that length of time. Plus, then they still had 45 minutes to go. So whatever kind of transit system or, or transportation system, they do not have any gridlock. They do not have any stoplights, I'm guessing. Um, also, during a car chase, the police officer Morris and his guys were able to keep up with Holly on foot regularly so there is a little bit of a problem with let's call it with time <laughs> in in their transportation around town but that said a gelatin capsule on average takes 20 to 30 minutes to dissolve and distribute the uh, uh the contents into your system so given that it doesn't take very long to get from mary's house to the restaurant Half an hour is about right. And you can make different ones that last a little bit longer. So I was, I, I really, when I sat down on that one, that was the thing that hit me. It's like, there is no way that capsule didn't dissolve long before she got to the table. And, and then I looked it up and it's like, wow, 30 minutes. I did not know that. I thought those things went much faster in your system, but, but there you go. They had sort of enough time to get there and not have her die in the car on the way. The thing that puzzled me about the timing, and I, I, I'm still, I may just have not thought this through. I probably haven't thought this through. I'm only trying to think it through right now. Is, but at the time, it you wouldn't be the me. only person. <laughs> it, what struck What struck me was that they turn up back at the police station, and they, the they, Grisham arrests Holly, and that surprised me because meant that there was quite a lot of time between them being taken off the, or them being briefed about the case and taken off the case and going back in time right because that that scene where they get arrested is before oh sorry is after they've already discussed the case with Grisham whereas yes, I had assumed but... that when they traveled back in time it was quite it was quite soon after discussing the case with Grisham and therefore we all everything that we were seeing was before it it does have a feel of being a little bit too too tight and i didn't include it in my recap but after the murder slade and holly go to the house and investigate there first so there is there is some time after the murder but we don't know how much time yeah yeah so, it it still feels it, it, it didn't, remarkably it did, tight. It didn't, yeah, it, yeah. If it, it didn't it, see, I mean, when when it actually plays back, when you when you go through it the second time, as it were, it 
it's a uh, whatever whatever it would have to be a couple of hours i guess and going through it the first time it doesn't seem like a couple of hours and that's maybe just you know there's no re- there's no reason for that it's just the impression that you get yeah <clears throat> they don't seem to have enough time to have done a fingerprint analysis and tracked it down to holly either right isn't that when what's well, by the time they get back to the station, they've already got the fingerprints back from the wine glass. Yes. yes that happened yes, just a mean, couple yeah. hours ago. And they've identified Holly as the only set of prints on there, which leads me to another question or observation. As a detective, Slade is not very, this is procedural. He's not very good about not touching things unless he's wearing gloves. He's not wearing gloves ever. They go to Holly, Ma, uh, Mary's house. He fingers all of the uh, blackmail packets. He um, he was also holding the wine glass. And in fact, it's the guy who gave the wine glass to Aunt Mary. So why weren't his prints on it? Oh, excellent point. Excellent point. <laughs> and he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been one of the people whose fingerprints were. Well, no, he wouldn't know even. Uh, yeah. After the event, he would be he wouldn't be touching anything because it would be a crime scene. And he ought and to how be did thinking, Alex get really, the stuff really. in without touching it? Yeah, yeah, but 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 yeah, really, he ought to be thinking before when they travel back in time, before the crime has been committed. Even they are they are on a crime scene, so mm-hmm. they ought to be taking all of the kind of forensic precautions that you would take after the crime had been committed. Unless he's working on the stupid assumption that he's going to prevent this crime and therefore it will not be a crime scene. And so therefore there will not be yes. an investigation, which yes. no, that's true. He is working on that. Again, would, would have messed up the reason that he would have come back in time in the first place. So it, it is the other thing that I and I'll point out about this, this is two episodes in a row. He has assaulted people. Uh, in this case, it sounds like he hit a guy with a frying pan. Uh, obviously it wasn't because they were out in the backyard, but I mean, it sounded like a substantial brain trauma hit on the guy that a he stole the outfit Yeah. Well, okay. At a crime scene. And as, as you say, he knows he's at a crime scene and he, he's done a remarkable job with the Clark Kenting here. None of the, none of the people at that table recognize the annoying wine waiter who made a big deal about the wine. Yes. Just because he was wearing glasses. Wait, you were there. That's what the dentist should have said. You were there. You were the wine waiter. But no. Yes. They they didn't. So let's talk about the whole trying to prevent the crime. Or, or let's talk about Slade guilting Holly. Because he keeps guilting Holly throughout this episode oh we owe it to her you owe it to her to go back and find out who killed her oh you really you're not gonna try to save her life and he he uses i mean he uses the whole bit about well if you don't save her life all this is yours then so you have a motive for not saving her life (sighs) it i can't quite figure out what he's planning on doing when they leave is it his goal all along to prevent the crime? Is that what he's ultimately trying to do? Or his his motivations kind of confuse me. But, yeah. but if you were trying to prevent a crime, is that really the best way to do it? It's like, well, he, I, I mean, he he is naturally manipulative. So he's once he's decided that's what he's going to do, he's he's going to use these rather unpleasant means to do it. The and like you say, it's something we've seen before. And in the first episode, he has a very clearly established motive for wanting to travel back in time. Mm-hmm. But in this one, I don't know that he does. I mean, it could be, I guess, that he wants to solve the crime and get the credit for solving the crime. And that's the most convenient way to manipulate Holly is by suggesting that they can prevent the crime and save her aunt even though she is saying that that's not possible because obviously she has a reason to want to believe that it is particularly in this case yeah Uh, you know it feels to me like the reason he wants to solve this crime is because the boss won't let him investigate the crime 
I mean, he spends a lot of time griping about the chief inspectors and Morris's yeah. abilities yeah. as cops. And, but rightly so. I mean, Competitive. I don't know why Holly well, would be he... on the case anyway. She's a science officer, but you know, Slade could have been put on the case. <laughs> there was no conflict of interest there, but they did. He, they, they were treating Slade and Holly like partners in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Which, which, you know, is again, comes back to the kind of formula that the that these things are based on that it's it's the poirot and hastings thing isn't it he needs a sidekick what is apart from that and this is a harsh thing to say but i'd say slade is not the most ethical human being we've ever seen actually it's his vested interest that mary be dead in yes, some ways yes. more than than holly i mean he's got a time machine he can use if he can keep manipulating holly and it would work better if she could get it you know get a lot of money and and put uh hubcaps on it or something but uh <laughs> yeah no I, I mean i think i think if i was if i was projecting um maybe a little bit more depth of character onto what we're seeing here <laughs> i would i would suggest you know just extrapolating from slade's general behavior that there is a kind of power play in it that it's almost like it's that ultra competitiveness thing. He wants to beat time itself by preventing the crime. He wants to do it because he's been told it's impossible. Like, you know, like you say, he, he wants to be on the crime because Grisham has told him he can't be on the case and he wants to change the past because Holly has told him he can't change the past. Yeah. Yeah. It could just be, could just be that. I would I would also think that if he could do something about it, he might have more leverage to get Holly to let him use it in the future as well. See how successful this is? We mm-hmm. we, we can make a difference. Mm-hmm. But speaking of all that money, first thing, I was kind of disturbed by the idea that she was talking about parts that are from the night that her father put in there in the 1950s. This thing's been around for a very, very long time. Maybe not working, but... It's been around for a very long time. But she's constantly talking about, I have to perfect the machine. I have to, every time I use it, a part burns out and I have to spend another month's salary, uh, right? What does she have to do to perfect this machine? It works. This is not a, this is not a proof of concept. This is a thing It works. And she must be using it for something. What is she using it for? if not to help Slade solves crimes. I, I don't quite get what's going on there. And, and, and okay, let's say she perfects it. Yeah. Okay. She gets it working. I mean, it is working, but let's say she gets it working to her, her specifications. Like I have perfected this time machine. This is not just a time machine that works. This is a time machine that works the way I want it to work. What is she going to do with it then? announce it to the world look we've got time travel yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a good question because you, you you know you think you think the thing is if she's if she's not trying to build a time machine in order to i don't know what she might build a time machine for but to to go into the past and correct something or she she obviously thinks that's not possible enrich herself or she obviously thinks that's not possible and so you're left with the conclusion that there there is a kind of very academic interest in temporal physics behind all of this and so where does that lead i mean it's not just personal satisfaction is it i mean surely you would want to share that with at the very least your peers and so you'd be thinking about publication or whatever which is why i kind of quite like the scene where she says what am i even doing here working in a police station which is a damn good question and it is talks about but she obviously doesn't want others to know yeah, I could be I could be working in a university where the, there is proper equipment and all the rest of it. And at least the question is articulated, but I don't think we get a clear reason. Yeah, there is an episode of Logan's Run, which uh, is is set in a post-apocalyptic world where World War Three wiped out wiped out mankind for the most part. And a time traveler from before the war comes to the future and he comes to the future to find the records to find out why the war started so that he can prevent it it's kind of this in sort of in reverse Mm -hmm. and he doesn't find out why 
But when he does return with successful proof of concept that time travel is possible, that is what causes the war to break out. When everyone finds out that time travel is possible, they're like, wait, the Americans have time travel? They could go back and kill our leaders and they could do this. And they said, we demand time travel. And then they go on the they go on the attack to destroy the threat of time travel. And I That's think of that. Animal. Yeah, I think of that when we were watching this episode. It's like, what, what, what happens when she tells people she has a time machine? And if she doesn't tell time people, why has she done this? it can't just be to save her father. I mean, that's a possible motivation for her continuing on with the work, but, but it still you know, her father created the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't, doesn't end the question of why we have this secret time machine project. It just carries it back a little further. I, 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 I was kind of hoping that like, like we discussed with paradox, I was kind of hoping that we we're going to see a little bit of an evolution of our understanding of time travel. I don't think we got it in this episode. I don't don't think think we we did get it in this episode. I, again, without, without having a clear recollection of, of where the show goes, I can't be sure of this, but I do. I think, I think you're right that the, the kind of questions have been laid down around there being these rules of time travel and therefore what happens when you break them. I very much think that what we have seen in this episode is a, a kind of a bread and butter this is this is the formula for crime travels cr- cr- crime travelers regular episodes so you know last week was the introductory episode by the end of the series we will be getting some episodes that break the rules a bit to give you the kind of jeopardy of an end of season you know finale and if it they, they on, definitely should be figuring out uh, they, they definitely should be figuring out what they can and cannot do and therefore not making the same stupid mistakes over and over. So you have to do something else to up the jeopardy, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Um, there was one other thing. Oh yeah. I want to mention at one point when he's in the room, uh, looking at the, the blackmail packets, Slade says, looks at his watch and he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble keeping my brain about being at two places in one at one time. Right. And, and Holly says, well, don't worry. You're not going to get used to it because I'm not going to let you ride the time machine anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, but he was really, really quick on the uptake when they got back to Holly's apartment and he saw the power go out. He's just like, he instantly knew that's the power failure that we, we caused when I pushed the button and the people that were shouting in the elevator are Grissom and, and Nikki, I think it was. And it's like that, that was like the smartest thing I've seen Slade do in this show. (laughs) He obviously got that instantly. It's like, ah, I've got it. We've got our window. So, so, you know, he may not be able to understand being in two places at once, but, but he managed it pretty well in that moment. Yeah. Managed pretty well. I, don't have anything else in my notes. I got a few things just about the kind of the again the the police procedure side of things. The, I mean, one or of the thereof. one of the question, question, yeah, or the yes. I mean, I think again, this comes down to crime traveler existing in its own kind of work, you know, slightly separate nineties universe, a bit like. Not the not the same separate nineties universe that Bugs exists in, but a bit like the way that Bugs does this. So uh, one one thing is, and actually the thing this is because it's more living in an Agatha Christie universe. Slade says of Holly's aunt when he starts to think that she is a blackmailer, she's rich. Why would you know? Why would she need to blackmail because she's rich and it's it's not it's it's not the kind of question that i think a police officer would ask i think it's all about means motive and opportunity i could say that's around motive but there are lots of other things around motive why people might blackmail including you know for power reasons or whatever and you know fundamentally actually just liquidity just because someone is rich doesn't mean they don't need cash she's you know, and 
as indeed it turns out, she's heavily in debt. Yes, she she's sitting on this posh mansion, but uh, that we <laughs> we only need to look at a few billionaires that I could we could rattle off names to say that there is no limit to the amount of money that people want to amass. Yeah, indeed. So, so what if she's rich? And, and indeed, maybe ask how she became rich. So, yeah. yeah, so so I mean, I think that's the reason I say that's very much the world of Agatha Christie is because the it, the the kind of the classic whodunit genre novels all like to have for a kind of apparently uh, clear cut motives because the people are really puzzle pieces rather than right. three dimensional complicated characters who's you know who have conflicting motives and whose lives don't necessarily fall neatly into place when when you solve the mystery um whereas obviously in a in a murder mystery you need everything to sort to kind of fall neatly into place at the end you you must understand why they didn't ask evans <laughs> i don't think i've ever read that i'm looking forward to the Hugh Laurie version of it i have to Oh, it's quite good. I have to admit that, um, you know, slightly relevant to this because it's a carnival films thing. I've, I do enjoy the the David Suchet Poirot stories, the, the kind of dramatizations of Agatha Christie. But I don't like reading Agatha Christie. I don't rate her writing style very much. It's just there's something about the way they they dramatize it, the the kind of the characters and the conceits of the the way the the kind of mysteries are set up are entertaining enough as long as you as long as you you wrap it in the in enough style and that's what i think the the dramatizations do do mm. well well the hugh laurie uh, why didn't they ask evans it really was very good i'd never heard of that novel before honestly and i saw that came up on Britbox, and i'm like you know i'm gonna watch it and really good really good I'm looking forward to it even more now. Procedurally, I also wondered why if if they have a an employee who they think has committed a murder, whether there is a conflict of interest issue there. They're very quick <laughs> on taking Holly off the case when it's her aunt. I don't know why they take Slade off the case, but they take Holly off the case when it's her aunt. But when it's someone that they've worked with, they don't bring in like i mean isn't this a an instance of police corruption you'd thought this might be bring in the complaints bureau or at least get an external force to conduct the investigation for you Mm. so that seemed Mm -hmm. that seemed a bit odd it'd be more likely if they were trying to sweep it under the rug you know you're one of ours so therefore we'll you know, we'll do this investigation, but there's no indication of that whatsoever in this. They they seem dead set on putting her away. So yeah, y- yes, they are. But that doesn't just but just because you're just because you're ignoring the conflict of interest doesn't mean there can't be a perception or an issue around those conflicts. So I'm not criticizing their conduct, but I'm criticizing the procedures. I guess why. Mm. Why are they allowed to do that? Because even though they're doing it right in this case, they might not do it right in another case. And there is even that comment about, you know, she's the best science officer we've ever had. It's like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want to arrest her because she's the best science officer we've already had. And why would the best science of, officer we've ever had commit a murder? It's like, oh, hang on a minute. It's or even if she did, we, like... we could still use her. <laughs> yeah, you're no more or less yeah. likely to, to do that. And then when it when it does, yeah, last point on um, police procedure. But when it does come down to to um, actually doing some police stuff, apparently they they find Slade and Holly in sector nine seventy nine. Was it? Yeah, something like that. They say sector nine seventy. Did I hear that right? There's some kind of reference to them being in it, like they've coded the whole map of the area their policing yes there is a number but i could not tell you what that number was it was nine something nine two seven oh nine right i mean the not that it wasn't so much the number it was just like 
why would you do that? Why, why would you do that instead of saying, you know, they're on high street or why, why divide I... it up in sectors and how many sectors and oh god, it just <laughs> yeah, it, you would you so would think a map reference, a map reference would be much more logical. We're, we're finding them in in yeah. C twelve. I mean, that's how maps are broken up when you're looking at a city map. Well, yeah, but I mean, even that, even that's not that helpful in itself. It's more like you'd want to sort of be able to say they're on the corner of this street and that street mm. because that's meaningful and accurate. And it doesn't require you to memorize a whole bunch of stuff or even get a well, map out no, no, and look no. at it. You know it. Well, it, maybe you know it. Maybe you know it. I, I mean, I remember very, very clearly prior to the arrival of an iPhone. <laughs> it's like, you know, I used to carry, I used to carry a, a, a book in my car that was, uh, you know, an atlas, let's call it an atlas, but it was a street guide for Phoenix Metro is, you know, 80 pages because I don't know where the streets are. You, you, you could look at a, you could look at the index in the thing and go, Oh, it's at, at Liverpool street. And it would give you the grid references, the page and the grid references, and you could find it. And that was, that was how you did it when you were an unfamiliar part of town. Now, if it was, you know, near my, and Phoenix is easy. Relatively speaking, Phoenix is easy. If somebody says that you're at, you know, 2300 Indian school, you already know you're at, or West Indian, so you already know you're at 23rd Avenue in Indian school because our addresses are, are blocked out numerically by streets. But still, I don't know where, you know, if you don't know where Indian school is, if you don't know it's north of, north of Thomas and south of Camelback, you're, you're lost. So I could see, I could see in the nineties that that might be the way they do it. Did it? That's the way we would do it. So. Right. Well, how does that, you're trying. You're trying to avoid having to look at a map to look up a street name, but well, you look up. You, somebody gives you a street think, name. You look up the street name, and it tells you where on the map it is. But yes, it, it is a little bit weird to reverse it. But but if you're trying to avoid using the map, you then you then you know you have to you have to memorize something that's much more complicated than memorizing the street names. Well, Grisham it's did like, complain that he did that, and he gave a reference, and she said next time speak in english or something she's that's where she lives <clears throat> she's going to her home so i mean she did oh, rebuke right. the guy for for doing it that way but it, it i think the only thing that bothered me about that is that that map reference did not make any sense at all that that didn't feel like the kind of thing i could find something on a map with well it presumably was a, was a a standard code that they all were familiar with but yeah or were all were supposed to be familiar with but i just didn't see the point of having it at all that was that was the question it raised in my head morris is an idiot i think that was why it was there to, so that the chief could uh, down on him oh uh, well, he was beaten up pretty badly by that dog wasn't he arm in a <laughs> sling nose yep. in a, a bandages just, that, that guy is not coming off well i think the dog took a baseball bat to him yeah did feel like it instead of Slade. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, little note on the cast. Pit, um, I can't, I can't, I'm trying to remember if we discussed Pip Torrens before. Uh, who is Pip Torrens? I don't, I don't know. We have no, not. I guess we haven't discussed Pip <laughs> Torrens before. So Pip, 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 Pip Torrens was, was playing one of the, the three who was being blackmailed in this. The the tall chap with the round glasses, the the chemical and mogul, yeah, 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 yeah. The work, yeah, worked for a chemist or whatever it was. And um, I have this thing with I I see him in something. He's one of those people I see in something, and I go, I know you from somewhere, but who the <laughs> who the hell are you? And then it always turns out to be Pip Torrens, and he's in everything. I mean, it is just like everything that all my favorite things from sort of. Jeeves and Worcester through James Bond, Doctor Who, and most recently Succession. Pip Torrens always turns up. It's remarkable. So, oh. yeah, it was it was fun to see him in this as well as everything else. He looked familiar, but I did not. Uh, I didn't peg him as anything I'd seen in anything specific. So, if he's been in Doctor Who, I don't know. Couldn't place him. He was. He was in Doctor Who. Old or new? I think he was in the. Uh, oh, uh, new, new who? I 
I, well, I don't think he's been in old Doctor Who. I think he was in the um, the, uh, fam, the Human Nature two-parter, so Human Nature and Family of Blood. Okay. And yeah, all right. That that okay. I can picture which one it would have he, to be. Yeah, yeah. He was also in, and it must have been the same year actually as as uh, Crime Traveler. He was in Tomorrow Never Dies as the I think he's the captain of the the Devonshire probably. He's one one of the ships anyway. I think it's the Devonshire which gets sunk at the beginning of the film. Mm. Yeah, I didn't recognize him from But he had he's been in all sorts of things and and you know, some of them really good and crime traveller as well. <laughs> well he got a he got a bigger part, I think, than he did as captain of the Devonshire then. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> well, that is true. Some, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's small part. Sometimes more significant part. You know, playing Bingo Little in in Jeeves and Worcester is a kind of fairly substantial support role. Um, but I think, yeah, he does tend to. He, he's one of these sort of British character actors who just never seems to be out of work, and as 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 a consequence of the fact that he does all of these kind of parts which are never huge he gets into a lot of tv shows i notice as a fan of death in paradise you may be interested he was in death in paradise everyone has been in death in paradise haven't they well uh, yeah i mean (laughs) i presume so it's a it's a long-running series you've got to imagine that you know he was in other yeah long-running british series like um silent witness or whatever but you know just looking down the list yeah he's been in hustle he's been in black mirror he's got a quite a quite a a lengthy cv an impressive cv hey uh well the next episode of crime drama is fashion shoot so that sounds (laughs) all right we'll find out (laughs) Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusionpatrol or patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at FusionPatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at SoundCloud.com slash FusionPatrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we'll be looking at two more episodes of Logan's Run. First... In the episode Half-Life, Jeff Seca gets split into two people, one good and one evil, and neither of them appears to have a Van Dyke. And then, in Crypt, Harlan Ellison tries a crack at the nut that is Logan's run, in a story where Logan and Jessica revive a group of scientists from the before times. And then the murders begin. Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol. <laughs>